everyone, welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 243. And this is going to be puppy episode number five, I believe. I never got to the standard training one uh, last week, so I will make sure that I do that uh, this week because I'm going to start a new program on here. Um, the podcasts are going to stay the same and I'm going to still do this, but I've started on the weekend training sessions, uh, filming some of the things and I was going to have the, the, uh, additional thing where you can log in and all that and, and get to look at some specific videos. It basically just demonstrating what I'm talking about. We had a great one this weekend where we were in the, doing the upland and we had a dog that was, uh, knew what it was doing but kind of was loose and sloppy and not real serious and and went out there on our first bird and just did a, a little pursuit of it didn't just a, maybe a didn't even point I think just just for a pointing one went in there and kind of went after it and got called de-chased a little bit a kind of a mild de-chase in other words the consequence the well understood by this dog consequence not one you would do to just any dog anytime and then he went out to the second bird and held a point and never moved again. So it was a great demonstration of when a dog understands certain things and how you reinforce that without making them be nervous about being out in the upland field. So I'm going to try real hard to get some videos of uh, uh, not just upland, but all the stuff to demonstrate to people all the stuff that I talk about here. So that's coming. I just have to make sure that it's good really good stuff not something where you can't see it or it's fuzzy or you're not sure what the point is so that's that's the project going on right now I look forward to that it's so much easier when you see some of these things versus um, just hearing somebody talk about them and one of our, the training group there is has is going to be coming out with their brand new puppy <laughs> so so maybe we can film some brand new puppy things and bird exposure, which is what I'm going to talk about today uh, for any of our bird kind of dogs. So this one is for people that have the hunting dogs, okay? that This puppy thing, everything else I'm saying fits for every kind of dog and every kind of thing. But uh, this one we're going to be talking about uh, the bird stuff and bird introduction. And maybe next weekend we could even show, or the next weekend or two, we can show, you know, a, just a new dog that doesn't know anything about any of this. And <laughs> I love that stuff. That is the most fun. Really, I, the little guys and, and just turning on the spark in the light bulbs just a little bit and getting them to understand some real fundamental ancestral, you know, very deeply rooted things is just, uh, just a lot of fun. So... Today's is going to be talking about bird introduction. Now, before we talk about that part, because that part's fairly simple, the challenging part of bird introduction and all ensuing bird work after that is <laughs> it, going to be you and your ability to uh, dissect the situation and know what you're looking at and respond to that. So in all of dog training everywhere, and frankly, in all of any interactions with any living things anywhere, but certainly in our dog training, it the, how successful and effective it is depends on your ability to know what you are looking at 
Now, even if you're new, you know, and you're a new person, either new to this dog training business or new to thinking about it this way, it's, that doesn't mean it's going to take forever before you can ever do this stuff. Um, it, but it does take one, an awareness of this particular skill that you need to develop and then maintain that awareness and just continue to refine it as you learn more and more. And a brand new puppy, there's no better place to really get that skill going. And it's easy because you have, you're going to develop a love affair most of the time with this puppy. And so you're very, very connected. You just have to be very, very honest. This is a little different than if you have a kid, because when you produce a human being, when you create or adopt, you have this human being for which you are responsible. Okay, that's, you are responsible for one, having it, bringing it there, and then two, it's how well it's gonna function, you know, how happy it is, all that kind of stuff. But it's like a part of you. And so it's very hard to, you're, you can't disconnect because it's part of you. And in the end, most of us would do almost anything on earth for our kids. Uh, okay, a dog is not a kid, you know, and I have never met anyone who loves dogs more than I do. So I'm not some hardened old person that's just speaking about them real uh, disjointedly. I mean, I love these dogs, but especially after I had kids, I very much realized the difference. Um, a human is one thing and a canine is another. And in truly, as I've said before, on and on, in truly honoring, respecting, and loving these animals, you do what's best for them, not what's best for you, just as we should do for our kids. But anyway, that's very important. So even though you have a love affair and you're very connected, Always hold within what you're doing the respect for this animal as a creature, as an adult that it's going to be sometime. So everything that we do with dogs, particularly starting with these puppies, hear this part. If you're dozing in and out and driving and looking at traffic, please hear this part. Everything you do with them needs to be in response to what they are telling you everything so when you have a i've like i said in several of these things i said watch your dog is it just jumping around crazy mind all over the place kind of helter skelter you know oh cute i'm not talking about puppy zoomies but just it's just wild and you put it on a leash and it's pulling and it's doing all this stuff that's what's going on inside of its head so your problem isn't that you have a pup with too much energy you have a pup who's showing you what's going on inside of their head through its body. That's how they work. So if there's just this non-focused, nonsensical, physical behavior going on, then you need to reel the dog in in terms of its thinking by giving it things to do, making sure it understands consequences, like a puppy that bites you learns don't bite. A puppy that jumps up in your face or scratches, you know, bites the old dog, they need to learn that there are consequences. In other words, we're, you need to engage the brain. So hopefully having learned out in the very early stages, you watch your dog and see what they tell you. Yeah, you know, they tell you when they have upset tummy. 
you know what? Puppies can get that. They can eat something really horrible <laughs> that you didn't see. And now they feel terrible. And you have no idea that they ate a dead rat or something. I mean, you just don't know. And so if you see the dog being somewhat lethargic or somewhat disinterested and that's out of character, okay, pay attention to that. Don't try and cheer it out of it. Pay attention to stuff like that. When the dog's a little wild and crazy, then before you start doing things with it, make sure that you reel that in and get them settled and a little bit focused. You know what? Putting on a leash, putting them in the crate, having them sit down next to you, giving them something to do. Do a couple retrieves on a cord so it's out and back. The mistake that people make when you have a dog whose mind is all crazy is by throwing something 50 times, right? Or running them behind the four-wheeler or other things that just reinforce that chaotic, crazy mind. There's no need to do that. Physical, wild, frenetic, crazy activity for a high-energy dog, I'm going to say is the worst thing you can do. Yes, do they have to spend their energy? Absolutely. Then do it by taking them on a long walk at a high speed for the puppy. So they're spending all their time trying to stay with you and be where you... Okay, now they have to think. Now they have to remain focused. Get a little older, do some kind of what... If they can do understand it, some obedience where they have to think and focus. Not cr just build, reinforcing their mind craziness because then that's just what grows and grows. So enough said on that. So we're going to take, we want to take our little guy out and introduce it to the delight of birds, a real bird. Now, for dogs who hunt, there is a difference between a live bird and a dead bird. All dead birds or wounded birds or otherwise non-birds that can't escape very easily are to be retrieved, period, right? So they don't know that in the beginning. They know nothing in the beginning. Be aware that this dog does not know I'm an upland hunter and I'm a quarter in front of you and I'm a... They don't know anything. They just don't know. However, you do not want to, for the pointing guys, do not... Uh, tie a feather onto a bumper and hide it out in the yard and figure you're teaching them how to hunt. You're teaching them when you do that how to look out in the yard for that feather tied onto the plastic thing. It really, it, you know, some dogs, the behavior may translate, others don't. But that's just, we're not hunting bumpers. We're not hunting a feather because there's going to be feathers everywhere. What we're trying to do very respectfully, and also the shortest distance between starting and finishing here, is to use the real thing. So if you have a pointing dog, or a dog that's going to be doing upland hunting a lot, for the pointing dog, don't go put dead bird bodies out in the field. Don't do that, because what you're teaching them is go out there, look for this thing, and grab it. And there's no pointing dog that we want doing that ever, particularly when they're, we're trying to develop the point. So if you have a fleshing dog, it's fine. Then if you want to put some dead birds out there and have them go find them and grab them, because that's what they're going to be trying to do anyway. Um, but a dead bird is not the same as a live bird. And a pheasant-scented bumper, and I'll go back to my kind of crude analogy is like dating a mannequin instead of the real thing. 
Okay, big difference, big difference. And it's very much true on a pheasant-scented dokin, that is not like a pheasant. That is a artificially scented plastic thing that went to people, looks like a bird, dead, with a head flopping all over the place. So if, the, the, again, the shortest distance between getting this going and getting it where you want it is to have a live bird, and I hope I can video this. Now, generally, quail are awesome. Now, if you can't get your hands on any live birds, then you're going to have a very hard time <laughs> training your your pointing dog and your upland dog. Because, but matter of fact, you might want to get the help of a professional trainer because you do need birds. It is so much better when you open that little that little cubbyhole, that little little light bulb of upland hunting, of awareness of these living things out there. When the dog is, is the, at the first time when dogs can mentally grasp this. As I've said before, many of them, when they're eight, 10 weeks old, I've you know put a little bird out somewhere and the dog just walked over. Absolutely could have been a stone, you know, it could have been anything, it, just no computation. It did not mean the dog was stupid, had a bad nose. It meant none of that. It just meant the brain was not speaking to the other intakes there on look and feel and smell. Just wasn't connected yet. That's all it means. So and you then hold off for two, three weeks before you try it again. You know, get them where you can throw uh, a frozen dead uh, quail. You know, and at least they kind of tune into a different scent. I don't, be cautious, retriever people. Be cautious about only using birds and, and all that stuff when you're teaching, like, the mechanics of retrieving. Uh, on a little puppy, I will always use a bumper because I don't want it to be running out there because it smells like a potential dinner or just so yummy or they really know the difference between the plastic and the feathers. Then the plastic for some dogs can become uh, kind of like they're not interested. Well, I don't want this. You know, I get I get birds. I get the feathered things. So for me in raising a puppy, all the retrieving stuff I try and do with a plastic bumper so it's only good by virtue of its retrievability because what I'm trying to do is develop a high desire to retrieve. Because I want these dogs to go on and do great things. And I'm going to have to force fetch them and teach them to handle and all that kind of stuff if you're going to do that. So I want that, that desire to retrieve very high, not be a function of what it is I'm asking it to retrieve. When you get that really good on these little guys, then if you ever do throw a little frozen bird out there, they'll go get that too. At first they may be going, what is this? You know, but they'll go get it because you have a very high love of, of uh, the retrieving but I would caution you in the in the early times to use a lot more uh, to use bumpers and you know the plastic stuff than the birds because then they might get real choosy about what they're retrieving and there's just no reason to do that but when we are doing bird introduction in the upland field now the feathered plastic things aren't going to work we've got to use the real thing and what happens when you do that is you can see something click on. I mean, you can literally see that first little spark. You know, somebody lit the match 
and then a, a lot of times <laughs> it goes really fast <laughs> they they get all of it and they're just absolutely thrilled about it and some it takes some time doesn't none of it's a measure of nose brains anything it's just the rate at which that dog develops in terms of their mental understanding and their cre they're associating things that they smell and see and experience with some kind of response some dogs have a hard time making that connection so just take what you've got so we're gonna still back to bird introduction make sure that when you go out to do this your dog is in a what i always refer to with all my people is a yes sir or a yes ma'am mode in other words they are aware that i am there they are aware that we are working together now they're eight weeks old we don't have that right but if you're doing this at 12 or 16 weeks or something you better have that there so that they don't just go chasing it away forever and you never get them back the walk is really nice because a lot of times they're used to sticking with you so they'll tire out when the bird goes very far or sometimes you can even call them but be make sure they're in the yes ma'am yes sir mode so the dog is with you so that they understand hey this is one of our shared things we're doing together i didn't say you have a bunch of control over them and they're be sitting and be acting like they're you know a year old i'm not saying that make sure the connection is there if it's not go do something to get it you know whether you take them for a little walk down the road or put them on a leash and just something so that they're kind of with you before you do it now Depending on the age of the dog, if we're going to be going out and looking for birds, we have to let them know kind of what this is. So ideally, I like to have, and, and I like it in the very beginning, frozen, because when they are just freshly dead, <laughs> it kind of is like a filet mignon. And so you've got to, some dogs will be just thinking, and I've had them swallow it before I could get to them, a couple of them that were very much in the eating thing. Another reason that treats should not be a part of a lot of training here. Eating is not the reward. Okay, the finding the bird and eventually being able to retrieve it is the reward. So I like to have like a little frozen quail so it doesn't seem very edible. And when you get the first, get the little dog out and I don't do the big cord thing because it's just like me walking through the field with you holding onto your sleeve because I'm going to educate you and I'm going to teach you, right? So I'm holding on to your sleeve. So you can't get very far away from me. And you're trying to enjoy walking through the field and doing all this stuff. And I'm just right there hanging on your sleeve. Hey, that's what it's like for these guys. So their attention is somewhat on exploration and what they're doing. And the other part on this constant pulling and nagging of the presence of this thing dragging on their neck. So that's always been my experience. I, I'm not going to say never, almost never have a cord on a dog because I want their mind on one thing, and that's this new thing that we're doing. But we'll get the little dog out and have it not run off through the field. If you do the walk, you never have to worry about that. Get the little dog out. Get this little frozen quail. And just like I had a little puppy bumper, oh, I'll rub it on them, right? I always rub stuff on puppies because then they get a little their smell on it. Rub it on it and just throw it a few feet out there like a, like of all the retrieves we've been doing. You know, they might run out and get it and come back. They might run out, pick it up, take off because this is different. They might run out there. This is probably the majority in the bell curve of their responses. And then stand on it, over it, and go, 
what is this? Okay, that's fine. Of course, they. this is a body of something. It's a whole new thing for them. So it's very good, you know, for to let them go, what is this? And if that happens, run out there, scruffle it around on the ground, drag it around on the ground so it's like a toy or something. Oh, my goodness, and then throw it a little bit again. And if you do that several times, that little guy's going to eventually start picking it up because, one, all the retrieving you've done, and, two, it just seems like fun, and it's not really edible. So you'd want the dog to make the connection between that smell and that feel, but mostly that smell and that delightful little object. Now it's dead. You throw a live one out there, which I know a lot of people do. Um, I, I, I just, it's hard for me to do that to a little living thing. I have done that when I've had to because there was no other way to get somebody excited. I hate that. But I, I have done it. But I usually am going to work a little harder with the dead guy. And then the live one, you know, I mean, it's squawking. Oh, that's fun. And it's warm. And it squeaks. And then it drives them run away. And, and use that if that's what it takes to get these guys interested in this. But it's not necessarily the thing. Some people just like that. I, I don't. I just don't. And I like quail a lot more than pigeon. Use a pigeon if you don't have anything else. But a pigeon is not a game bird, and it does have a little different kind of a thing to it. Um, but let them, let them, you can see that. Here's where you have to watch and pay attention to your dog. That little spark, when all of a sudden that, that their ancestry speaks to them and goes, this is it, man, this is what it's all about. And you can just see that kind of kick in. And so you throw it several times. See if you can kind of throw it far. Several, not 20. And get the dog interested in that. Now, several ways to begin the bird introduction. Depending on the uh, sophistication of your dog's thinking, sometimes, and I've been able to do this with some dogs that were just super, started super early, I would get a checker out of the pen that was not doing so well. It wasn't, it'd rather not fly. It could have, it absolutely had to, but it, you know, I don't know, there was just getting sick or I, I don't know what. Or it was mating season and they're just exhausted. But I would get one and just tuck it somewhere right next to right next to a place that the puppy would just walk logically, a little trail or something. I used to use my pattern blinds for that. Just off the trail, just tucked in somewhere the bird would want to sit under a little shrub or something like that, where the wind would blow the bird scent right across that little path we were going to walk down. I would always set that up, and then I would take the little dog, and they'd be walking around, having a good time, not thinking about, they were with me, and they would go downwind of that bird, and because there was, it didn't have to, the wind didn't have to go through five feet of cover, or any heavy cover, it, it wasn't in sight, but unless the puppy just went over to where it was, then it could see it. So in other words, I provided the wind, the opportunity, not a lot of obstruction of making this happen, and a place where the bird could escape. And so I've seen a number of things. One, dog just will keep walking. <laughs> and so when that happens, when you have one of those that just keeps walking by, don't call it back, call it back, walk it back. Walk. You put so much pressure on a situation when you try to make it work. It would be just like 
going out on a date with your mom and she's trying to tell you all the right it would be horrible right it would not work so when your dog is going out there and we're trying to get that little light bulb turned on don't you can't force it you can't it the more you start bringing it back why and then you go and you're getting frustrated dog knows that now it's worried it's like something's wrong i don't even know what so if the dog just walks by i'll just keep on going we'll just walk I may walk somewhere five or ten minutes and maybe go back by there one more time just to see. If nothing happens, nothing happens. We'll give it a go in another week or so. Then I've had other dogs that walk by there, get that scent of that, and, and go, what is that? And then jump in and grab it. <laughs> because they were faster than the bird was willing to get up and move. You know, or, okay, and so... That's good because I'm trying. I'm doing a bird introduction. I'm not doing a how good of a four-time grandmaster is this dog going to be. I'm just doing a bird introduction. And it smelled it and it liked it. That was good. So I just get the bird out of its mouth so it doesn't learn to munch it or chew it or something. And put it in the vest and keep on going. And, you know, if the dog is like that, maybe have another one that's not... Uh, that can get out of there a little bit that just tells me i'm going to respond to what the dog told me really really birdie really really fast so the next bird encounters are going to be where birds can not be caught where they can get away so i just respond to what the dog told me i and then with the other one with no interest or no ability to grasp what was going on i'm just not going to do it for a while let it mature just a little bit maybe a week maybe two just something like that. Sometimes it's even longer than that, but not usually if you're doing this early enough. So we have a little aggressive sucker. So that tells me, all right, from now on I have birds that might be a little more difficult to detect, not just six inches off the, off the side of the trail, or birds that if somebody goes in, they can get out of there real quick. That tells me that. That's my next step on continuing this. The goal in this is to make them understand, to begin just to get a flicker in that light bulb and to have them start to love this. No other goals. Don't be barking, whoa, and courting them and trying to make them be like you want them to be when they're 12 months old. This is a discovery process. This is slowly trying to bring some very internal things out. And to sit there and try to make them do all the right things, thinking this is how you train them, is wrong. Any dating you ever did when your mom was there trying to make you do everything right would not have been very useful. And it's the same thing with these little guys. Now, sometimes, and in this always, it always worries me when I see this with people's dogs, but with some of the little dogs that I've started, right, I got the... I got the kind of not super healthy checker just sitting there under the shrub and walk by and the little dog just locks up. Just like just walks by, goes into a really hard point. <laughs> then I, if the owner's there, then I'm always like, oh, no. I mean, I'm just really happy. It's like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, and oh, no. Because everybody's like ready to start making this be a <laughs> superstar pointing dog. For one, you have to see if this is consistent behavior. And then you have to let it develop. And then you have to know that pretty soon they're going to stop doing that. G, who I had videoed a lot and was on the Facebook thing, his little puppy, she was one of those. She locked up on the first 
first, just like her mom Zia, locked up on the first bird she was ever on and every other bird after that. So in the very beginning, and I had this, I think we had some points on her that were like a minute and a half, two minutes on a little schmuppy. And I did, we just sat there and watched. You know, I was like, that is awesome. I wonder, if we just just sat there to see, not not because I will always do that. I won't always make them wait two minutes. I just wanted to see what was going on with this dog. And she would hold for, a, you know, for almost really two minutes, I think. one I can't remember. It was a long one. And I showed that stuff. You know, and then the next week we'd do it again. And she it would be a minute. And there was a few, several weeks where we had like minute points. And, and then we had 20 second points. And then, and then we had five second points. And then uh, as she became super great pointer, as she became more uh, understanding of the whole situation, she, her, her, because we did retrieves all the time, she, she would catch herself when she was just stopped on that and, and would, uh, would, go what, what am I doing and then she'd go in and bust it so when she consistently showed that uh, strong point uh, we started either either sh shooting and throwing a dead bird that was in my vest so that she found out why this is why you're pointing this is what happens when you point and so or literally when she was when I knew I'd get her her and the bird back and I had one, and that one was a video in there too, where she would not bring the freshly shot bird back. <laughs> she said, no, I'm sorry. You've taught me so much stuff, but I, this, really, this is mine. So then I stopped Upland and responded to what the dog told me, right? Instead of going, no, this is a great pointing dog. I got to keep going. It's like, this dog is telling me right now that, that she, she thinks this is her bird. And I have to teach her that this is not her bird, and it will never be her bird. So we stopped Upland for a few weeks, really worked on obedience. <laughs> when I call you, and I don't know that this was with the collar, you guys, because I think she was still four or five months old or something, so I did not use the electric collar. I dug down, doing her my retrieving stuff, and taught her, you know, girly, when I call you, you really need to come. And she did. And then we could go back. And when she was doing her pointing well, shoot the bird and get it back. And when she, you know, but went in there and pointed for five seconds and busted it, she didn't get the bird. And I got Goller back. I didn't de-chase her that early. I did not de-chase her. Don't de-chase them early. But I would just call her back because, you know, you can't, you, you messed up. Now, here's a dog that was doing everything right. Right? She's hunting, she's staying with me, she's pointing, sometimes really well, sometimes not. So the real desire most people have is to, okay, man, look at this girl. We got we to gotta get her woed. We got to, you know, teach her not to, she can't ch de-chase her, do all this stuff. And I did not do any of that. I continued to work on the retrieving all the time. And then when she got her adult teeth in around six months, then I force-fetched her, not with the electric collar, still had had no electricity, uh, really worked on the obedience. You can't work on obedience and woe at the same training session, okay? Because 
and now I'm going to bring up something that, oh goodness, has been around for so long. Uh, and all the pointing guys say this and bully for them, do it. I have had so many people come out with us and go, well, the guys over at such and such told me never teach your pointing dog to sit. And I, that I said, really, I have 90 Grandmaster Pointing Retrievers and dozens and dozens of four times. Every one of those suckers sits. <laughs> Every one of them. Because in the dog world and in the retriever world and in the running blind retrieves and in the goose blind and the duck blind, you better sit. And it does not, if you go do it correctly, interfere with your point at all. If you do stuff incorrectly, you screw up a point in a lot of ways, including getting dogs to relieve pressure by sitting. It's usually people that don't understand what's going on on the point that do that. So these little guys, they learn to sit. So when you're doing the heel sit here stuff, don't now don't sit. Don't do the don't sit. Do your woe thing totally separate and don't have them SIT at all. Not at all. Just have them stand. And, and we'll, woe stuff is, I have woe things all over the place. But So don't do any of that. Just expose your dog to this stuff. And when G got, like I said, she got force fetched. We did all that stuff. And, and then separately, once I had good obedience and all that, I would start the woe stuff separately because you don't sit. And she doesn't sit on any of her stuff. Right? I would do that separately. And then I collar conditioned her after all that basic stuff. And after collar conditioning, now I could de-chase. And when you de-chase a dog, and we're not ready for that because I'm talking about puppy things, that is where you shore up and staunch up your point. In my book, not before then. Because if I start making bad things happen to this dog, before they even have a clue what the game is, then you have dogs that run out there, blink birds, you know, find it, turn away, because it's like every time I find this bird, I'm in trouble. And that's just unnecessary. But here it requires patience. This is patience. So a, a weekly bird exposure, unless a problem develops, is ideal on this stuff. And you, the goal for this stuff is to make your dog understand the scent, understand what they get to do and understand that they're doing it with you not in spite of you or outside of anything to do with you and to watch them get great delight out of this so there's more bird talk on that but that's the one that's I'm gonna leave it with that right now and go ahead and teach your little guys to sit because if you do all this right and in the right order you're gonna have a dog that just sits and also just points if they're real pointers. And if you have a flushing dog, that sit is really important because that's what you want them to do when the bird flies up. You do not want to have old Uncle Charlie out there with you and you got one of those low flying birds that's four feet off the ground and your dog in hot pursuit and he's just thinking about shooting a bird. That's why you want them to be able to wait until <laughs> they see if that is bird is going to be retrievable or not. So sit is super important for flushers and pointers in the retriever world as far as I'm concerned. So that was a long one. Didn't mean to go this long with all this. It's just such a big topic. Uh, I'll be back next week with, I don't know, how do we start a little bit more of the formal stuff? But again, practice 
noting exactly what your dog's state of mind is, what they're thinking, and before you start training, get them into the correct state of mind so that you can be effective and you don't get all frustrated. That's it for this week. Springtime, weather is getting a lot better. I hope everybody stays safe and happy, and we will be back next week.